I turn your attention to Leviticus chapter 21 and verse 16. Leviticus chapter 21 and verse 16. The Bible reads as follows, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, saying, Whosoever he be of thy seed in their generations that hath any blemish, let him not approach to offer the bread of his God. For whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish, he shall not approach. A blind man, or a lame, or he that hath a flat nose, that wouldn't knock me out. Or anything superfluous, or a man that is broken-footed, or broken-handed, or crook-backed. Now that would knock me out, that one right there, the first of verse 20. Or a dwarf, that would knock out some of my friends. Or that hath a blemish in his eye, or be scurvy, or scab, or hath his stones broken. No man that hath a blemish of the seed of Aaron, the priest, shall come nigh to offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. He hath a blemish. He shall not come nigh to offer the bread of his God. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. Only he shall not go in unto the veil, nor come nigh unto the altar, because he hath a blemish, that he profane not my sanctuaries. For I, the Lord, do sanctify them. I want to speak this morning on this subject, learning to walk with a limp. Learning to walk with a limp. You may be seated and thank you for standing. The passage of scripture that we read in our text is not one that you hear preached on very often. In fact, it seems uh, very harsh and, and uncaring in light of our modern uh, culture that we live in. But we have to understand it in the context of that day. It dealt specifically with the priesthood. It dealt specifically with those that were in the lineage of the priesthood, back to Aaron, and those that were working in the tabernacle with the serving of the bread, the duties of the priesthood, those that were focused on the preparation of the tabernacle, the service of the ministry. There was also a law which the priesthood uh, that would go up into the place of worship, into that holiest of holies, could not go if they had a tear in their garment. The tearing of the garments that time was what they did when they were in mourning. They would rend or they would tear their garments when they were mourning perhaps the loss of a loved one or loss of a child. In the Old Testament, Levitical law was, was very firm that you were not to go into that inner sanctum of His presence if you had any kind of a tear in your garment. You were not going to go there and mourn. You were not going to go there with the focus on your own feelings and emotions. You were to go there into the presence of God with your very best, putting your best foot forward. You were coming to sacrifice and to worship. And you say, well, why was the Lord so strict on this? Well, you have to understand the tabernacle was sort of a temporary church that was in the wilderness. And it moved around and it jostled as they were moving from place to place in the wilderness. And the Lord created us. He knows the tendencies in our human nature. And it's easy to get so uh, accustomed uh, to that particular place where man would meet with God for it to become so casual that it would not have any significance. And so there were very strict rules that were put in place about how the tabernacle was to be constructed each time, the way they would tear it down, the way they would build it back. Uh, the dimensions of it all was all very exact. And there was this premium, uh, this prestige, as it were, this, uh, this holiest of holies that was uh, put in place so that man would not be casual in the way that they approached God. And sometimes I think, you know, those of you that have been around as long as me, 
you understand that it's easy. We've been to thousands and thousands of church services. And it's easy for us to take for granted that we come to this place and we meet God and we sit in holy and heavenly places. But oh, I don't ever want to take for granted what a privilege it is for us to come and to lift up our hands and to glorify the Lord and to say, God, we love you, we worship you, we come before your mercy seat. But we don't come with a spirit of casualness. We don't come with a spirit of, of, uh, of placement where we don't put a value on it. Oh, but we come into the presence of God with a spirit of anticipation and a spirit of gratitude that says, Lord, you have been so good. You have blessed us one more time. Oh, what a privileged people we are to come into the presence of God. The Lord put these laws in place to protect this very a holy place. And there was a thread of consistency that went throughout all of the Old Testament law. Even the sacrifice had to be spotless. Deuteronomy 15 and 21 says, And if there be any blemish therein, as if it be lame or blind, or have any ill blemish, thou shalt not sacrifice it unto the Lord thy God. We understand that even the sacrifice itself had to be without blemish. He didn't want you bringing a sacrifice to him that was sort of all beaten up and couldn't be used for anything else. So we'll just give it to God because we can't do anything with it. Oh, no. He said, whatever you bring as a sacrifice, you bring the one that is without blemish. Because there was a principle that we're going to give our very best unto the Lord. Oh, I think there's something valuable about a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, that'll say, God, I'm going to give you my very best. I'm not going to give you the leftover of my energy. I'm not going to give you the leftover of my day. I'm not going to give you the leftover of my attention. I'm going to say, God, you deserve the very best. I'm going to give you the very best that I have. I'm not perfect, but I love you, Lord. And I come before you with the spirit of appreciation. Genesis chapter 32 tells us the story of Jacob. A man who was unusual in his pursuit of God. His older twin, Esau, should have received the blessing of the birthright because he was older, if only for a few moments. He was older than his brother Jacob. But the hunger of Jacob moved him to a place of blessing, but also to a place of isolation, a place of dedication. We see that Jacob being raised as the second oldest in this twin, this, this holy house, as it were, of his parents, Isaac, of course, being the son of Abraham and the tremendous lineage. And Esau was a man who was a hunter. He was a man of the field. He was the oldest. He was the one that would bear the birthright and the blessing. But he didn't really appreciate it. He didn't really desire the things of God. He really enjoyed being with his buddies in the field. And so... There was one that hungered. There was one by the name of Jacob who had such a hunger for God. And he desired the things of God. Oh, my friend, God will rearrange everything if a person is hungry for him. If you have a desire for God, I'm here to tell you that he will move heaven and earth to make sure that that hunger, hallelujah, is fed. If you desire the things of God, you're going to find a God that will come near to you. He will come close to you. That's what he did with Jacob. Jacob tricked his father. His father was blind. And with his mother's help, they tricked Isaac. And Isaac thought he was blessing Esau, but it was actually Jacob. And then Esau came in from the field at his father's instruction and was bringing venison. And he was bringing him that special meat that he loved. And so he brought it there and he was ready for the birthright blessing. And, and Isaac said, I, I thought I already blessed you. And no, you haven't. I just came in from the field. It must have been your brother that took the birthright blessing. Well, then bless me also, Isaac or Esau said. He said, I can. I've already. It's only one blessing. It's the birthright blessing. I gave it to Jacob. And Esau was so mad, he came storming out of that tent, determined that he would kill Jacob. And the mother had already anticipated this, and she had prepared for Jacob to leave the camp. And I've got a brother by the name of Laban. He lives on the other side of the desert. And if you'll go and, and live over there, you can be saved, but you can't stay around here. Esau and his posse, they'll take you out. Jacob, you're not a man of war like you. You've got to go. And so he goes. And so now he's all by himself out in the desert. 
and he's displaced from his family. He's displaced from his loved ones. Uh, uh, he's being hunted as an animal. He's having to run and, and he's having to walk at night and he's having to find his way into another land. Uh, but he put his head down on a stone at night and the Lord gave him a vision of angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And I'm here to tell you that ladder went all the way to the ground. Uh, I'm thankful for a God that doesn't just hover up in the heavenlies, uh, but it comes all the way down to earth uh, and allows you and I to know that though you may be suffering from displacement from loved ones, though you may be hurting in your heart from the betrayal of a friend, you still got a God, hallelujah, that will come close to you. He's not a fair weather friend. He is as close as the mention of his name. Oh, you can call upon him as Jacob did. And the Lord said, if you'll be my people, I'll be your God. And it was a place of isolation, but it was a place of dedication. And so he goes and finds Laban and then he ends up marrying uh, uh, the daughters and found out there was somebody who was smarter than him. He'd always been a trickster. In fact, his name meant deceiver. But it ran in the family. He come across Laban, his uncle Laban. He didn't even know him growing up. But he found out Laban, Laban had more tricks in the bag than he did. And he fell in love with his cousin Rachel and said, I want to marry her. He said, okay, fine, you can marry her if you work for seven years. And he did. And when he got time to get married, they put the veil on the face. He didn't realize it, but it was her older sister, Leah. The Bible says she was not fair to look upon. Certainly not to Jacob. He thought he was getting Rachel. He ended up with Leah. He goes to his father-in-law and says, what's up? You gave me the wrong daughter. And he said, oh, well, she's the oldest. I had to give her first. But if you'll work seven more years, uh, you can get Rachel. Oh, he loved Rachel so much. It was like just one day he was coming home from the field, but he'd look at Rachel and say, oh, it won't be long now. Boy, I tell you, after he married them too, and they started having sons and everything that went on in that family, the tricksters didn't stop before long. There was all kind of things going on with the animals, and this one had a blemish, and you got that one. If you wanted the ones with a blemish, he started dividing what uh, Jacob could have in his family, and Laban was always one step ahead of Jacob. But, oh, God was on Jacob's side. Oh, aren't you glad the Lord is on your side? It doesn't matter. You may be dealing with a boss that's not a moral person, but I've come to tell you, take heart. The Lord is on your side. He's going to bless you when man will not bless you. He's going to favor you when man may not favor you. You just stay close to God. God's got your back. God's going to take care of you. Before long, it was time for Jacob to go back home. And many years had passed now. Jacob had fled for fear of his brother's wrath. But he was grown now. He had a family and children that were nearly grown. It was time to go. It was time to go back home to face his brother. And as he got close, he moved his wives and the family and the boys and the servants and all the animals. He had a big gift he was preparing, many, many livestock he was going to give to his brother just in case he was still upset, just in case that anger came back after all those years and he saw his brother. He didn't want it to come back. He still was fearful. And so he prepares to bring them there to the camp. They've traveled now for quite some time. The next day, they will arrive at the camp. And so he sends his family on ahead. He sends them over the brook called Jabok. Jabok was a tributary to the Jordan River. And it says it was a fjord, which is the way the Bible describes a portion of the river that could be crossed by foot. It was a shallow part of a tributary that fed into the Jordan River. And so he sent his family and the livestock and everything over over the brook, uh, over the, the fjord, Jabok, a part of that Jordan River. And he said, I'm going to stay here because i got to get a hold of God. Uh, he had done this before many times. Uh, but he said, I've got to hear from the Lord. i got to separate myself unto Him. Can I tell you, it's still the same way today. No matter what you're going through, there are times when you've got to separate yourself unto God. you got to pull back from all the noise of this society. you got to get a hold of God. you got to put yourself in a time of prayer and fasting and say, God, I can't do this by myself. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have the answers, but I know that if I call out to you, you will hear my cry. I'm here to tell you that God is still meeting with humanity, just like he did Jacob. So Jacob, in his earnestness, he begins to call out to God. He has this earnest desire 
to get a hold of God. He is praying. He is crying. I've got to have your touch, Lord. I've got to know you are on my side. And the Lord appeared as a man and met with him. And what they referred to at that time as a uh, an angelic host or a being. It was a theophany. It was a way that God or one of the angelic beings would manifest themselves as a human being. I believe this was God himself that appeared as a man because the things that happened are a direct result of the way God would work. Oh, my friend, you got to understand that God doesn't delegate his blessings and favor upon his people by going through some sort of an ambassador. That's why it's important to know who Jesus is. He's not Jehovah Jireh. He's not some Someone that the big bad God up in heaven on a throne with a zap stick sent down to look after humanity. No, my friend, he robed himself in flesh. He was God manifest in the flesh. He came to this earth. That's why Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Oh, hallelujah. He's the son and the father. Oh, he's the king and the child. It's all in him, the fullness of the Godhead, and it's all in him. And so the Lord appears as a man, and Jacob, needing an assurance, he struggles with this uh, encounter with God. The earnestness of his emotional state caused the struggle to move from just a conversation to a literal wrestling match. Now before we think of this in terms of how odd it would be for a man to wrestle with a form of God, consider the fact that many times you and I have wrestled with God, with our own flesh resisting the absolute necessity of submitting our will to His will. Perhaps the struggle of understanding the loss in our life or the questions that we have when trying to make sense of the pain of betrayal. But I dare say... That we have not wrestled physically with the Son of God, but we have all wrestled within our own flesh. Because you know, as I know, that we have flesh that has a fallen nature. But God has also filled many of us with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And sometimes there's a wrestling match every day. Your flesh wants to take vengeance. Your flesh wants to react. But the Holy Ghost says, whoa, hold your horses. And sometimes you give in to the Spirit, and sometimes you give in to the flesh. And when you give in to the flesh, you say, why did I do that? Why did I do I mean, it's a wrestling match every day. In the old days, the cartoon used to have the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other shoulder. And both of them whispering in our ear, there's a wrestling match that happens all the time. Because God gave us a free will. Well, I'm here to tell you something. If you wrestle, don't think that means you're losing. That just means you're a human being. And God loves you enough, hallelujah, that he's not leaving you to the impulses of your own flesh. He said, oh wait, not, not, not so quick. Wait just a second. I've got this. Let me take care of this for you. Amen. So Jacob was in that. He, he strove with him. The Bible does not say specifically what the encounter was, but only that Jacob was wanting something that he wasn't getting. And so there was this wrestling match. Perhaps he wanted an assurance from the master that he would not be harmed when he met his brother the next day. And he was told that he, perhaps that he needed to just trust the Lord, and that wasn't uh, good enough. He wanted some kind of a, of a physical assurance or maybe he was a in more of a struggle with his own feelings and letting go of the hurt of the past but whatever the conflict was it went deep into the night this struggle back and forth back and forth finally this angelic manifestation of god instructed jacob to turn loose of his grip on him jacob refused but understand this this was after the fact that he had received a physical infliction during the encounter i've read this many times before but recently something jumped out at me that i want to share with you now he was afflicted because the angelic being was not prevailing Genesis 32:25 and when he that's god saw that he prevailed not against him he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. How many times uh, when you and I have been battling with our own flesh uh, and we're given into the flesh, uh, we have to have something happen to us to realize that we're not Superman. 
I mean, as long as everything's going good, you got a good job, you got a home, the kids are happy, the wife is happy, everything is smooth sailing, you may make time for God, you may not. You'll try to get to church if you can, if you're not out on the boat on the weekend, or if you're not visiting relatives in Orlando, you may make it or you may not, but if you don't, you'll watch it online, everything's going good. But you wait until there's something that happens in your family. You wait until there's something that happens in your own physical body, and the doctor says you got answer and then all of a sudden all of that other stuff doesn't matter anymore it doesn't mean you're a wretched sinner it means you're a human being and the wrestling match goes back and forth and back and forth and when the lord sees uh, that you're not prevailing uh, that the flesh is prevailing uh, that the spirit is not taking uh, preeminence in your life uh, there's sometimes he allows things to happen in our life uh, to get our attention it's not because he doesn't love us uh, it's because he does love us he cares more about your salvation than he does your satisfaction of him. He cares more about your character than he does about your comfort. He desires that you and I be saved. And sometimes the only way we're going to be saved, if something happens, causes us to realize we need God. We need God. But here's what I love about this story. He was touched in the hollow of his thigh. As he wrestled with him. But even with this affliction. He would not let go of the Lord. And he said let me go. For the day breaketh. And he said I will not let thee go. Though I got a pain in my leg. And it's not working like it used to. I'm not going to let you go. Though I got something going on that I don't have an explanation for. I'm not going to let you go. Though I'm suffering in my flesh and in my body, I'm not going to let you go. Oh, my friend, I'm here to tell you, that's when the blessing comes. Even with the pain, I'm not going to let go of you, Lord. Even with the hurt, I'm not going to let go of you, Lord. Even though I don't have an answer, I'm still coming to the house of God. Even with the suffering, I'm not going to let go, God. I'm still here. Yes, I'm suffering. I've had a bad week. I've had a bad month or a bad year. But I'm still holding on. I still got a grip on God. Oh, my friend, that's when the blessing's going to come. When you made up in your mind, you're not going to let go. You and I are hurting, but we refuse to let go of God. There's a blessing coming with that. We don't understand why we suffer what we do, but if we refuse to loosen our grip, that grip on God, that grip of our devotion to church, our grip of our commitment to the kingdom of God, oh, my friend, you're going to be blessed. I said you're going to be blessed. There's a blessing that's coming. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Jacob said, thy name, or the Lord said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, that's what Israel means. Hast thou power with God and with man and hast prevailed. That didn't mean that he had beat God in a wrestling match. That meant that he had prevailed in recognizing that there was a strength greater than his own flesh. There was something greater than the hurt in his own emotions. There was something greater than him muscling his way into some sort of satisfaction that everything was going to be okay. No, I've had to learn. God has changed my identity. I'm not the man I used to be. God has made a difference in my life. And now I've had to learn to trust Him. Even when I don't understand, I'm not going to let go of you, Lord, until I know that you've blessed me. God is going to change your identity. He changed His name from Jacob to Israel, from deceiver to prince, because He had prevailed. And it was not that He had prevailed against God, it was that He had prevailed against His own flesh. He had won the battle that caused him to engage in this struggle. But the struggle left a mark on him. 
an undeniable mark. He had to learn to walk differently. Verse 31, and as he passed over, the newel of the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. He had a limp. He had to learn how to walk with a limp. Therefore, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, part of the ligaments, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day. Even now, they won't eat that part of an animal that they're eating because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. I started studying that word hollow, and that hollowness was a place of where God would hallow something or make it holy. It talks about how that the place where the staves ran through the Ark of the Covenant were hollow so they could be born on the shoulders of man. When God created you and I, he created us like a giant jigsaw puzzle, but he left one piece of the puzzle out. He put a hollowness, and man and woman and boy and girl and humanity tries to fill it with other things. People try to fill it by being a workaholic. They try to fill it by making enough money that they'll be comfortable, that they'll be secure. They try to fill it with alcohol, drugs, pornography, immorality. The list goes on and on and on. But ladies and gentlemen, can I remind you this morning that nothing's going to fill that hollow place until you say, God, I need you. I've tried to do it on my own. I've tried to make a way on my own, but I've got to recognize I need you. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. There's a piece of the puzzle missing and it's only God that can fill that piece of the puzzle. Can I tell you what it is? You've got to submit your will to God's will. You've got to come to a place of repentance and you got to say, Lord, I tried to do it on my own, but I need you, oh God. Only then will that hollow place be filled. Jacob wasn't the only one that had to learn to walk with a limp. There was also a man in the Bible by the name of David who knew what it was like to learn to walk with a limp. You see, David had won some battles, but he had lost some other battles. One of the battles that he won early on was when him and his men were running from King Saul and they're out in the wilderness. They were a band of warriors, but they were renegades. They had been displaced from their family. They had been removed from their homes to keep them safe. They had just gone out into the wilderness and they were living off the land. And there were times when they would encounter different people that lived out there that had flocks and there are oftentimes they had to fight for their very existence. The Bible tells a very specific story about an area that they went into where a rich man by the name of Nabal had many herds and sheep and, and oxen. And, and so there were always uh, uh, these people that were moving and traveling and, and they would come through and sometimes they would take part of the flock of, of a rich man. And David and his men had, they, even though they didn't know Nabal, they had protected uh, this man's flock and and they had literally stood as a sentry on the wall and had literally been there for this man. And so it came to a time when David and his men were hungry and they sent word to Nabal that they had been protecting his flocks, but they were hungry and could he sh share a little bit of food with them. And Nabal was very wealthy and very selfish and, and he was very unwise. And he said, I don't owe you anything. I'm not giving you any food and I don't care nothing about you or your men. And I'd rather, and I'd prefer if you would just leave and get out of this area. And David was so upset. Ooh, here comes the wrestling match. David anointed as a young man to be the king. But he also knew what it was like to fight with his own physical strength. And he was not some sort of pansy. He was not some sort of weakling. He was a man, hallelujah, that knew how to handle a sword. And he decided that he would kill Nabal. He decided that he would take him out. Who does he think he is? I'll take out that big old fat man and he won't. Oh yeah, he was heavy. You read it in your Bible. I'm not just making that up. He was overweight. He had been blessed. He'd been eating a lot like the rest of us. And he decided that he didn't need to help anybody else. And David said, I'm going to take him out tonight. But Nabal was blessed with a good wife. Oh, aren't you thankful that God blessed you with a good wife? This would be a good time for you to say amen. <laughs> Especially if your wife is sitting next to you. 
Nabal had a good wife by the name of Abigail. And Abigail, she took a whole bunch of food out of the pantry. She probably couldn't tell Nabal about it, but she got some of her maidens together and got some of the servants and they loaded up and they went out there and found where David and his men were. I'm sure this was a great risk. She had never met David. She didn't know who these men were. They were just renegades. But she said, oh, don't listen to my husband. He doesn't understand what he's doing. He's beside himself. I've brought you some food. Please, I'm asking you, David, please don't kill him. I know you could, but don't kill him. I brought you some food. And, and they said, well, think about it. Now, what all do you got on that donkey? And they started pulling some food off and, and started eating. And the more they ate, the more David felt calm in his spirit. Sometimes you just need a good cheeseburger. Pizza with double cheese and extra pepperoni. You'll feel better afterwards. That's another whole battle. That's another whole wrestling match. One that I'm losing, but here we go. He said, Abigail, you have shown kindness to you, and I will respect your wishes, and I will not harm Nabal. And she said, thank you, and she went back. And that night, the Lord took care of Nabal as he died of a heart attack. Oh, my friend, God is wanting some of you to turn loose of something you're trying to take into your own hands. And God is saying, if you'll just let me do it, I'll save you from it. You won't have to live your whole life with the blood of an innocent man on your hand. You won't have to live your whole life with a limp that if you're not careful, you're going to take something into your own hands and you may win the battle, but you're going to walk away from it with a limp for the rest of your life. And God's trying to keep you from that scar and he's trying to keep you and preserve you. And the only thing you need to do is just say, I'm going to let go and let God. That's a word for somebody in this house today. You need to let go and let God because God can handle it better than you can. The Lord took Nabal out, and not only did the Lord take Nabal out, but he gave his wife Abigail to David. When God does it, you'll get a bigger blessing out of it than if you try to do it yourself. Abigail was a good wife to him for many years. She wasn't like Saul's daughter who didn't even like when David would get out there and worship him. She thought she was a big prima donna and she knew what was best and how to conduct yourself in public. And she was up there on her high horse and she just said, David, you made a fool of yourself. And David said, I was worshiping God long before your daddy. I feel a spirit of meddling getting up on me right now. Don't try to control me with all your in-law issues. I'm going to worship God no matter what. But oh, Abigail wasn't like that. Abigail was a good wife to David because David won that battle. He won that wrestling match. He said, I'll forgive. I'll take my hands off of it. I'll let go of the steering wheel and I'll let God be God. Oh, if you'll just let God be God, he's going to protect you from something and he's going to double bless you for allowing him to take care of you. Lord, help David in that. David walked away from that battle. And he won that one. But the next one, he had another battle. This one he lost. He lost this battle with the lust of his own flesh. The lust for Bathsheba. He took a woman that was not his wife. And then had her husband killed in battle to cover his sin. He lost that wrestling match and it left him with a spiritual and an emotional mark, a limp for the rest of his life. God forgave him, but there was still a limp because there's always consequences to sin. Even though God forgives you, there's that limp. You look at David's life from that moment on, he was never the same. And when David wanted to build a temple under the Lord that would be unlike anything that the world had ever seen. He could do it because God had blessed him. He was extremely wealthy. He was the wealthiest man on the face of the earth at that time. He was Elon Musk before there was Elon Musk. He was David, blessed of God. I'm going to tell you something, folks. All blessings come from God. Unlike anything 
He said, oh, I'm going to build you a beautiful temple, Lord. And I'm going to put the Ark of the Covenant in it. Nobody is going to ever doubt that you are Jehovah God. And the Lord said to him, you can't build a temple because you've been a man of war and you have blood on your hands. Oh, that hit David like a dagger in his spirit. No doubt David believed that this was the blood of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband that was now coming back to haunt him. It's not enough that I've lost my son. It's not enough that it's left a mark on my family and my children. But now I can't build the tower. Oh, he could have gotten an attitude. He could have gotten something in his spirit. He was already struggling with this limp. He was already dealing with the pain. But now he's being kept at arm's length from the temple because of the sin, because of the stain, because of the mark, because of the stigma. No doubt he rehearsed in his mind the Old Testament law. Here it is now being followed years later. I have a flaw. I have a scar. I don't believe long. There's no way I can build the temple. The Lord has told me I can't do it. But instead of getting an attitude and distancing himself from God, David made a decision that he could be a worshiper. He made up in his mind he could be a worshiper. That's why the Bible says that he said, I'd rather dwell as a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. This is why he took the sons of Korah who had the stigma of the rebellion of their great-grandfather on their life. But he said, I'm going to make you the musicians. I'm going to put you, hallelujah, as a doorkeeper. I'm going to allow you to be a part of the worship that goes up to God. Can I tell you something today? Everybody can be a worshiper. I said everybody can be a worshiper. You don't have to be on the platform to worship. You don't have to have a position to worship. All you got to do is have a heart that says God has been good to me. God has been good to me. I may have a limp, but I'm a worshiper. I may have a scar, but I'm a worshiper. I may have gone through some things as a child, but I'm a worshiper. He decided he would build the tabernacle of David. He'd build a place of worship. He built a tabernacle of worship that was neglected after his death because no one knew the value of it like David. No one knew it was the result of learning to walk with a limp, learning to serve with a scar, learning to worship with a wound. Nobody understood that like David. So after David died, the tabernacle of David fell down and ruined because he wasn't looked after. Nobody understands your worship because they haven't gone through what you've gone through. Nobody can build that house of worship like you can because nobody knows like you do that God has been good to me. When I think back of all he's done for me, Oh, when I look back over my life, he's been so good to me. Nobody can build this tabernacle like you. Nobody can build this tabernacle except a man or a woman that says, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to bless his holy name. You learn to walk with a limp if you learn to be a worshiper. And Amos says, and it's repeated in the book of Acts, That in the last days, the tabernacle of David would be rebuilt. Acts 15, 15. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof. And I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles. Point to your neighbor and say, that means you. None of us would have had a chance getting into that tabernacle in the wilderness. But it's a different day. 
tabernacle of David is for the Gentiles. Here's why. Upon whom my name is called. That's why we can go boldly into the throne room of grace with all of our scars and all of our mistakes. You know why we can? Because he changed our identity. He made us a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. That's why we're baptized in the name of Jesus. We've got the banner of his name. And when you've got the banner of his name, you've got a new identity. Upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord who doeth all these things. Peter preaches to the elders and the leaders of Jerusalem one of his best sermons. I know the sermon that he preached in Acts chapter 2 gets most of the attention. In that sermon, he preached to the Jews as well. And he quoted the Old Testament Joel as well. And it was a message to the Jews about the Holy Ghost and thousands of people were filled with the Holy Ghost. But in Acts 15, he preaches to the Jews in the church. And he quotes Amos, an Old Testament prophet, and says this gospel is for the Gentiles. Because I had a vision. The Lord wanted me to rise up and eat a bunch of animals that had a lot of scars and limps and were unclean. And I said, Lord, I can't. And the Lord said, what I've cleansed, that call not thou common. And he said, I've learned that this gospel is for the Gentiles. It's for those that are hurting. It's for those that have scars. It's for those that have been dropped in life. You see, my friend, many years before, David, when he was king, after he decides that he's going to have to learn to walk with a limp, he learned that it's not enough to just be a worshiper of God. You've got to learn how to also help other people. It's not enough to just be a worshiper. You've got to lift others. You can't lift up God and beat down man. You have to lift up God and man. So David says, where are the descendants of Saul? Are there any descendants of Saul left in the kingdom? When a king asked a question like that of his predecessor that was his enemy, everybody knew what that meant. He was going to take care of all the lineage so that they would never ever be a threat to his kingdom. He said, no, no, I want to know, is there anybody of the lineage of Saul? I want you to bring them to me. And they started looking around and they said, oh, yeah, there is somebody. There is somebody by the name of Mephibosheth. Who's Mephibosheth? Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. And he's lame in his feet. He's lame? Yes. You see, when he was five years old, the news came of his father Jonathan's death and his grandfather Saul's death and the nurse that had him that was taking care of him, she ran with the baby. And in the midst of the confusion and the chaos, uh, he was dropped accidentally. He was just maybe pushed aside. Maybe he was dropped and left for a while. We don't know. But in the haste of the confusion of the moment, he's dropped because of no fault of his own. He was just a child and he was dropped. uh, And he's been lame in his feet ever since. And David said, bring him to me. Tells him that all the land of Saul would be restored to him. Mephibosheth comes trembling and shaking. He's got to be helped. His legs don't work. He's got to have crutches. He's got to have men help him to even move one leg. It just takes a whole bunch of folks to even get him there before David. And when he does, it's not a hard thing for him to fall down and to worship David. And David lifts him up. Oh no, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to tell you that I loved your father and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to restore unto you all the land that was of your grandfather Saul. It's all going to be given to you and from now on you're going to eat at the king's table.
You say, I don't understand why I've got this limp, Pastor. I don't understand why I went through this as a child. I don't understand why I'm struggling right now, even with my own family. Can I tell you that it's possible that God has allowed some things to happen so you'll have compassion for other people. You'll realize what it is to walk with a limp. You'll recognize that you can help somebody else. No one could see the limp of Mephibosheth as long as he was at the king's table. Because from the legs up, he was royalty. And people would come to see the king and there sat Mephibosheth with a big smile. He must be somebody important. Oh, yes, he is. He has the king's favor. But just out of sight below the tablecloth, No one could see it, all the dignitaries, all the royalty from other countries that came. They couldn't see just below the tablecloth at the king's table was Mephibosheth's limp, his withered, broken, beyond repair legs. It was hidden. He could have just easily ended up at the gate begging. But he's at the king's table. And as long as he's at the king's table, the limp is not an issue. It's only an issue when he removes himself from the king's presence. Oh, you're looking around at you and a bunch of people that have got a limp. But when we come into the presence of None of us would have qualified in the Old Testament. But I'm thankful that when God robed himself in flesh, Jesus Christ did not push those that were hurting away. He went looking for those that were lame. He went looking for those that were blind. He went looking for the man with a withered hand. You know why? Because when you're in the king's presence. I said when you're in the king's presence. When you're at the king's table. The limp is not an issue. It only becomes an issue when I leave the presence of the King. Jesus Christ brings them all close to Him. The Jews didn't understand it. They were still caught up with the law of the Old Testament. Who is this man? He's a blasphemer. No, there's a new covenant. This is for whosoever will. Come with your scars. Come with your limp. Come with your pain. Oh, I know the devil wants to try to isolate you from the house of God. He wants to convince you, I know what you did this week. I know what you did this month. I know the thoughts in your head right now. When you get up in that house and you begin to lift up your hands and worship God, you are nothing but a hypocrite because he wants you to loosen your grip on God. He wants you to loosen your grip on the house of God. But something inside of you said, I'm going to the house of God. I'm not worthy, but here I am once again, saying, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've lost it. I've done. But I can be a worshiper of God. I can be at the king's table. Stand to your feet. I'm coming to a close. Jesus finds the halt. Jesus finds the blind. Jesus finds the hurting. In fact, in his suffering on the cross, it was declared that by his stripes we are healed. He took on his own body the sickness of affliction, the pain of broken bodies and broken hearts. He took it all so that when he passed, the veil in the temple at that very moment was open wide. Because the king of glory took the withered, the halt, the blind, the lame. And he took them on his own body. And with his own blood, we have access into the throne room of grace. And now it's open to all of humanity. Because the prince of peace has given us a new identity. I am not defined by my limp. I am defined by the fact that I have been washed in His blood and sanctified by His Spirit. Coming out of the day of Pentecost.
3,000 people added to the church. Peter and John go to the temple. And Acts chapter 3 tells the story. A lame man sitting on the outskirts of the temple right there by the gate, beautiful. Tried to get as close as he could, but he was lame. You can't go in, but we'll put you right here. Maybe, as Peter described it in Acts 15, maybe the residue of men coming out of the temple some of it will splash over on you. Baby, we'll just put you right here. You can't go in, but we'll get you as close as we can. But Peter and John, full of the Holy Ghost, going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. They see him. He puts his hand out and he asks for a little bit of help. And Peter and John, fastening his eyes upon him, Silver and gold have I none. You've been trying to fill the void with a few pocket coins. But I got something that's going to fill the hollow of that thigh. Such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ. Here we go. Here's the change of identity that gives power. Rise up and walk. And he lifted him up. And the Bible said immediately... His feet and ankle bones received strength. And you know what he did? He didn't go running through the streets. He ran into the temple. He ran into the temple. I've been wanting to get there all my life. I've been on the outside hearing the reports of the temple. But God has healed me. God has taken my limp. And I'm going to the house of God. I'm going to the house of God. I'm going to run into the temple. I'm going to run into his presence. How do we do it? Only through the name of Jesus. We declare his name. We pray for the sick in his name. We have learned that the struggles of life do not keep us from his love. It motivates us. To run to His love. To run to His mercy. To run to His forgiveness. I say to this great church today, the Master calling, come and dine. The King's table is available. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the limp. Everybody's got a story. But there is one common denominator that we all share today. The King is calling. King is calling. King is calling. Why don't you run right now from where you're standing and run down to this altar all across this building? Run. Run to His presence. Or just mosey, whatever you want to do. But come. Come quickly. Here we come, Lord. Our limp's not going to keep us away. Frailty of our flesh is not going to keep us away. God is calling. You can come boldly into the throne room of grace. You can find help in a time of need. Oh, it's beautiful. Just push down. Everybody coming. Here we come, Lord. I'm not going to worry about figuring out every question that my mind has right now. I'm just coming into your presence. I'm making a move towards you right now. Oh, that's beautiful. Keep coming. The Lord's calling you right now. It may be a wrestling match, but go ahead and let the Spirit draw you. There may be a struggle even with your own will. Some of you in the back, this altar is for you. It's for you, it's for you, it's for you. It's for you, it's for you, it's for you. God has designed a place that we can come into His presence. Why don't you move toward Him right now? I don't know why I feel this prompting in the Holy Ghost. Won't you stay here a little longer? You've been on the outskirts. Maybe it's your own mistakes that are keeping you on the perimeter. But God is calling. 
God is reaching and God is drawing. Come on now. Don't start yet because I still feel the Holy Ghost. Some of you have used COVID as a tactic to say, I'm not going to go to the altar because I fear COVID. You have used that excuse long enough. It's time for you to go to the altar. I'm preaching to you this morning. It's time for you to go to the altar. It's time for you to go to an altar. Lift up your hands right now all across this building. Come on, lift up your voice right now in the Holy Ghost. Come on, begin to call out to God right now. I will bless the Lord at all times. Draw me close to you. You are my desire 